Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and today we'll be rolling up our sleeves to talk about business model innovation, real-life examples of companies who have successfully shifted their business model, questions to ask yourself to find out if it's time to change your business model, and what steps you need to take if you decide that's what your company needs. Our guest today is Mike Maddock, who's the author of, most recently, Free the Idea Monkey, how the most successful people make big ideas happen. Mike is a regular columnist on Forbes.com, where his articles on innovation, business, and leadership routinely rack up thousands of hits. Along with Free the Idea Monkey, Mike is co-author of two other innovation-themed books, Brand New, Solving the Innovation Paradox, How Great Brands Invent and Launch New Products, Services, and Business Models, and Flirting with the Uninterested, innovating in a sold, not bought category. Since 1991, Mike has been founding partner and CEO of Matic Douglas, a Chicago-based innovation agency that has helped more than 25% of the Fortune 100 invent, brand, and launch new products, services, and business models, leading to billions of dollars in revenue. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you, Will. Thank you. Absolutely. So as I mentioned in the intro, we want to talk today about business model innovation. And that's probably a phrase that, you know, puts some fear into a lot of people in corporate America. Uh, But they look around at industries like media and entertainment, hospitality, automotive, healthcare. Yeah, I could go on forever, uh, but I won't. But they see huge companies with tremendous market share being threatened by companies like, say, Airbnb that may not have existed 10 years ago. So, Mike, with that as a backdrop, Can you give an example or two of companies that have undergone a real business model innovation to give listeners an anecdotal understanding of what that means? Yeah, sure. Well, I think that before I do that, it would be good to get an idea of what the word innovation means. And and I think it's, from our experience, it's fascinating how leaders of companies and businesses say we're going to be about innovation, we're, we're going to be innovative, but they don't ever level set with the with their uh, with their company about what the word innovation should mean so from our experience after a couple decades of doing innovation work this is the the definition that we use and that we see other companies use to to create business model innovation service innovation etc mm-hmm. and it's this if you draw a Venn diagram which is three overlapping circles the first uh, circle would be insight. It's the intersection of an insight, a need in the market that's significant, an unmet need that uh, a customer or consumer base that you can serve is looking to be solved. And then an idea. And the idea can be a new business model. It could be a new service. It can be a new product. An idea that meets that need. And finally, an experience that makes your customer or your consumer say, wow, I didn't think of that, or I did think of that. Now I'll, I'll pay you the, this much for it. So the, where the insight meets the idea meets the experience is where innovation happens. And oftentimes that that idea will be a new business model. There's some kind of need that your customer or consumer has that can be served with a new model. So look no further than your uh, what used to be your phone company for different business models. Your your phone company now sells you. Uh, cable services, they sell you, um, you know, internet, they sell, anything that you could, that could be delivered that is now media across a, a line or through the air, the, uh, the phone company is interested in, in, in a, creating a new model, which means they make money in a new way. It's not just tapping you for minutes on a phone. Um, Apple, you can't have a conversation about innovation without bringing up Apple. 
my question to your listeners would be what kind of what what business is Apple in? You know, are they a computer company? Are they a are they a phone company? Are they a music company? Are they? You, you can see they make a, a whole bunch of money distributing other people's apps. That's another business model. They're they're they're, they're essentially a platform for solutions. They've become a platform for solutions. That's a different way to make money. They make uh, pennies or dollars on every app that's sold through their platform. So those are a couple of examples of, of different ways to think about business modeling. Okay, got it. So essentially a, a new, for, from a business model innovation perspective, at least a new way to make money on a newer improved product. A product or service, it's, 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 you know, we're charging for something differently than we used to. So, um, and, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, but it, there's a mindset. People, people walk into challenges and they think, we're this kind of company. That we're, you know, we, we sell airplanes. We are an airplane manufacturing company, so that's all we know how to do. Really? Um, because in your airplanes, there are now TVs on the back of your seat. You could make money with that. What if you help people book travel to, so when they land, there's some kind of service that makes that, you know, that it's what other services can we provide besides the thing, the business that we started in? And that's where the business model conversation starts. Okay, got it. So Maddox Douglas works with, as I mentioned, or has worked with more than 25% of the Fortune 100, Disney, HP, Procter & Gamble, Philips, uh, and, and a number of others. So do you ever find yourself working with a company and you say, you know, uh, your business model is okay, doesn't really need changing or tweaking, the problem is, you know, A or yeah. Z? Yeah, the problem is typically that you're, you're solving the wrong Problem. You're solving the wrong challenge. Uh, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, and a professor walk into a bar. Um, it, it's, it's, it's been my experience that experts in industries are very rarely the people that solve the, the challenges industries. Uh, Einstein said one cannot expect to solve a problem with the same level of incompetence that caused it. <laughs> and and what, what happens is that so, so you, you don't find college professors reinventing uh, the way universities are, are, are administering education, even though there's no question now that universities and schools are going through a fundamental shift. It was actually a venture capitalist that started Khan Academy. You, Will, do you know about Khan Academy? I do, yes. Yeah, so that's an example of someone that was saw a need that that universities or schools or grade schools didn't and and solved it in a unique way so typically uh, people in businesses are saying how can we sell more of what we do more efficiently or for less money or in a new way when the outside world is saying but I don't want that anymore <laughs> I want something different yeah. and um, and that's how you get Napster you know that's how uh, Someone with no business being in your business comes along and puts you out of business. Yeah, and Khan Academy, of course, has spawned uh, Coursera, NovoEd. I'm sure there are countless other massive open online courses or colleges that I'm that I'm that I'm not privy to. Um, yeah. But yeah, it really is upending an entire industry. Absolutely. Okay, so Mike, what are some of the? Sorry, did I cut you off? <laughs> For free, I, you know that's the other thing that, that 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 the business model is to give away one thing, and then there might be something else that that is of value that they can make money on. So it's it is uh, it, it it can rock your world if you're not looking for if you're not paying a lot of attention to the changing needs of your customer or your consumer. 
So on that note, how does a Khan Academy make money if they give everything away for free? Do you know? I don't. I um, but I but I don't think Facebook knew how it made money or Twitter knew how it made money. And by the way, I'm a capitalist, so uh, I think it's it's a fair question uh, to say, well, you know, how can we survive? How can we provide for families? How can we add value if we don't have some kind of uh, way of making money? So my point really isn't start by figuring out how you can do something cheaper. It's really about being very aware of um, the, the needs that are shifting, and there are some symptoms. That, that if you're if you're uh, becoming less relevant to your customer, you'll notice some symptoms. That symptoms like there's a lot of consolidation in your in your industry. There are fewer traditional entrants, which means that gosh, no one seems to be starting up a traditional accounting practice anymore. You know, the, the price there's price com- uh, competition. You, you have to you're having to sell things for less. Um, regulation might be increasing. Um, but importantly, there's a growing unserved or underserved market. Like uh, I look at millennials who think differently than boomers or Gen X. They just buy things differently. They want things differently. And so, you know, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. They, they want to buy and transact in different ways than, um, than the people who, are, who have been very successful selling products and services understand. And, and that's a huge opportunity. Okay. Great. So say I'm a, a business leader at a company that, that thinks his business model needs innovating. Uh, what are some of the questions I might ask myself to figure out what kind of innovation or innovations my company needs? Well, I would be asking um, the first question, the fundamental question is what business are we really in or what business could we be in? So mm-hmm. um, there, there's no doubt that, you, that you've been successful because you have some very skilled people doing um, some unique things, whether it be data collection or distribution or merchandising, whatever it is, you, you have you have leverage. And the question is, how can you put that leverage uh, to new use? And so, taking a step back and saying, you know, we're we're not in the um, we're not in the parts and service business. We're in the efficiency business. You know, how can we make our because that's really what our um, our customers buy from us. They want their equipment to run more efficiently. So what does efficiency mean to our customer? Um, how do they think about it, efficiency? What do they value most? It might not be, um, uh, it might not be getting the, the cheapest uh, 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 fan belt. It might be ways to get that more quickly or to inventory it differently. But you only find that if you can stop, take a step back and say, you know, what business could we be in and then go, really interrogate your end consumer about how they feel about the services they wish for, um, what you could provide, what they would buy from you, where the value is, how much they would pay for it. Uh, So what business are we really in is a great question to be asking. Okay, got it. Uh, And just just to 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 clarify that point a little bit more, if Apple Computer thought they were in the computer business, it would have kept them from... Being an app, building an app store, distributing uh, uh, digital content from uh, taking on phone companies. They, they didn't think they were in the computer business. Their competitors did, and and that's so that created the possibility for them. And yeah, it's funny you say that when, when when you mentioned Apple earlier, you said you know is Apple a computer company or a phone company or a publishing company or a music company, and you know. I, I, I think the answer is yes, you know, to all of those things. 
Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're right. Probably if they had not thought of themselves uh, totally differently than most company, than, than most outsiders would see them, then they never would have been in the position that they're in where they have a, whatever it is, $300 billion market cap uh, stock, I'm sure above $500. I haven't looked recently, but uh, anyway, I- interesting to note. Okay, good deal. And good, and, good to know. And I think it's, you know, the, 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 the Apple uh, example gets a little bit old. Sure. But people forget that when they were, uh, I looked back, and when they decided to take on the phone companies, their stock was trading for $3.23. It wasn't like they were this ginormous company. But the, early on, they had a mindset that made that, that kind of thinking possible. So I'll stop talking about Apple, but it's a great way to make this point. Yeah, no, and that's. I think it's a. Uh, it's it's funny you mentioned the phone companies too, because most people WhatsApp was acquired by Facebook for nineteen billion recently, I think, and you know, it, it it has more users than Twitter, but most of them are overseas, and people thought that that valuation was shocking, but then it came out a couple of weeks later that WhatsApp is working on a, uh, on I believe a, a telephone service essentially. So you know, there may not even be carriers in five or ten years that you have a monthly contract with. Yeah, that's that's likely, actually. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the book, Mike. Uh, it's called uh, it's called Free the Idea Monkey, How the Most Successful People Make Big Ideas Happen. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to put on your zoologist or, uh, yeah, your, your zoologist hat for a second. What is an idea monkey? <laughs> so... Uh, what, what we've noticed, and you know, um, we've been blessed to be in the in the innovation space for uh, quite some time, which means we've we've spent a lot of time in rooms with with successful companies, uh, the leadership of successful companies. And what we've noticed is that where wherever there's a Walt Disney, there's a Roy Disney. Wherever there's a Wilbur, there's an Orville Wright. Wherever there's a Mark Zuckerberg, there's a Sheryl Sandberg. And the, 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 the mindset of a, a Walt Disney, I call them idea monkeys. Idea monkeys are about divergence. They like to predict the future. They're all about ideas. How about this or how about this or how about this? They tend to be very spontaneous and activators. They're ready, fire, aim people. They, they think anything is possible. And importantly, they can convince you that their idea is really great and it's going to work. So they're very influential. And which is good and bad. And right next to them in highly functioning organizations, there's a ringleader. Uh, ringleaders are different than idea monkeys. Ringleaders are about convergence. They want to focus on a couple of ideas that really matter to the organization. They want you to prove it. They don't, want, they don't want to be predicting. They want to prove stuff. They're about process, process, process. They plan. They execute with precision. Um, a lot of times in organizations, the ringleaders feel it's their job to save the shareholders from these crazy idea monkeys, these crazy <laughs> new ideas, which is which is where conflict happens. The, the fish stinks from the head down. So companies that are idea monkey cultures are called entrepreneurial cultures, and they, depending on which data you look at, they're out of business on average between 18 months and three years. And from our, uh, from our view, it's because, you know, I'm an idea monkey, it's because we just have too many ideas. We, we run out of time, run out of money. We just don't have enough focus. But on the other end of the continuum, and this is really important for big companies, um, because big companies tend to be ringleader-led. Ringleader they, they tend to be 
operated at, at a very high level, and the operators take over the show. You know, Roy Disney has the wheel. And so, um, so what happens is they, they six sigma, they squeeze, they, they, they mitigate risk, they take the idea that got them there, and they squeeze and squeeze and squeeze, and, and unwittingly, they, they, they push out the ability for the, the organization to take risk. And that's why the average Fortune 500 is extinct, gone in less than 40 years now. In fact, a report was just published that shows that the uh, that predicted that uh, uh, half of the Fortune 500 will be gone in the next 12 years. So, wow. the point of the book really is um, that the, the the action, the the success is when you balance um, practices, mindsets in an organization that 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 idea monkeys and ringleaders get along really well, that if an idea monkey wants to have a brainstorm, a ringleader wants to, you know, force rank insights. If if an idea monkey wants to do an ethnography, a ringleader wants to do a segmentation. There, there are these practices that are about quantifying and focusing on really significant and important areas of, of innovation um, and those are, that are very convergent, and there are practices that are very divergent that allow you to see possibility um, where other people see, you know, stop signs. And, and so the, 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 if you look at companies like P&G, they've been innovating for decades and decades and decades. They've literally had to put hundred million dollar products on the shelf every quarter consistently and the way they do it is they found a way to balance this divergence and convergence and and from a cultural perspective it's the awareness to know that what makes you strong is dangerous if it's out of balance so you know know your mindset understand you need a yin for your yang find your soulmate and make sure you have balance in your organization and that's what the book is about Okay, great. And it's available at freetheideamonkey.com. Uh, yeah, you can, the, sorry, you can go there. It's on Amazon, or you can go to our, our website is maddockdouglas.com, and there's more information on it. We've got a bunch of different uh, you know, videos, et cetera, that you can look at. I've written a fair a bit about this. This is, this is a very broad construct, Will, and mm-hmm. so what I'm hearing the listeners ask is, well, what if I'm both, which is – if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be both because you've got every job in the place when you start the company. But eventually, you know, it's the best leaders in the world focus on the thing that they, they're most passionate about. So I coach leaders to figure out what they're most passionate about and then find someone that's equally passionate about something you're not. And that's how balance happens. Okay, so Mike, let's say I am a leader at, at an organization and we decide that we do need new products or new services or an entirely new an entirely new business model certainly new streams of revenue what are some of the steps that i should take uh, if i decide that's what the company needs well if you're a ringleader mindset if you're a numbers person an operator the way i would challenge you is i would say so where's your next 100 million dollars coming from 500 million dollars from where are you investing now uh, we have a portfolio framework that helps identify where you're, if you're working on evolutionary, differentiated, revolutionary, and fast-fail, and, or fast-fail innovation. By populating that kind of framework, you can, you can understand what kind of returns you should expect and what kind of risks you're taking. So it's a good snapshot to, to see culturally what you need to do. 
Um, it all starts with consumer need and con- consumer ideas. Uh, so, so once you have the framework, uh, there, there are some prescriptive next steps you can take to, to talk to consumers and customers to understand what's next. If you're an idea monkey um, type culture, it, the, the conversation's similar, except that the portfolio would be used to constrain you. It would, be, it would demonstrate that you're working on way too many things at once. And, and again, to use outside consumer research to understand where the biggest opportunities you have are, what kinds of products, services, or business models you're working on that could potentially serve those opportunities. And if you don't have any, to come up with one or two of those and start uh, getting those to market as efficiently as possible. Okay, and you mentioned consumer and customer insights. One of our recent guests, John Fawcett from Fuse Chicken, uh, launched a company on Kickstarter, essentially. Do you, mm-hmm. do you have any experience or have you seen uh, you know, big Fortune 100 or 500 companies moving into that realm as kind of an area of market research at all? Yeah, so social media is really great. Um, you know, there's all kinds of open innovation uh, and and what Ki- what Kickstarter does is it's kind of a barometer for what people care about, which I think is really interesting. So it it's a great research tool beyond just a fundraising tool. Um, but I would encourage folks not to make the mistake of of opening up the online black box for suggestions, particularly inside your organization, because what happens is uh, people willingly give their ideas and but. Typically, organizations don't go and launch ideas from the people first. They launch ideas that are safe or that the executive team can agree on. Uh, and again, you know, you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar. So, so which means that the experts are not objective. And typically, the ideas that they choose inside the jar are are the safe ones that are going to fail or at best have minimal return. Meanwhile the people in your organization who've given you all these ideas that they think are precious and gold, you're not responding to them. They see your idea fail and now you've, you know, you've unwittingly demotivated them. So, so the way that I suggest using, uh, and we've seen uh, open innovation work is to find the need in the market, use open innovation like uh, Kickstarter does to find needs that are really relevant and then importantly, to solve specific challenges. So once you have a need and once you're trying to figure out how to do something, then open up that challenge, that specific pointed challenge to the universe or, or to your internal universe so people can solve a specific need in a really novel way. Mike, I'm sure that you are like many guests that come on the program and you're bound by relatively strict NDAs over what you can and can't talk about. Uh, but are there are there instances that you're particularly proud of where you've helped a company kind of reach an aha moment and launch a new product into the marketplace or a new service or an entirely new business model? Sure, we I mean we've we've been around long enough so that I can walk down a grocery store or uh, you know I, there are moments where you know I drive to McDonald's and, and and grab something that we worked on which is really fun. Uh, we worked on a project for for Case New Holland, which is the second largest farm implement company in the world behind John Deere that helped them launch um, global global or satellite-driven tractors is the best way to think about it. Um, I, I'm really proud of that because the, you know, you can now plant a seed, fertilize a seed, water a seed, and harvest a seed within centimeters, and it, it increases yield by... 7% decreases fuel, fertilizer, and water 
by about the same. So we're feeding more people, um, you know, and it was a great project. So I'm, I'm proud of that. If you get your phone bill and you have AT&T, we worked on, we have a patent on the phone bill. And that was a that was ten years ago, but it was it was an experience. You know, the, the the experience of getting your phone bill was so agonizingly horrible for people that by recreating the experience, it actually wound up in the Wall Street Journal. And um, but importantly for the company, it opened the door. Once the experience was better, they now had permission from their customers to sell them other things besides phone because. So now, now I will buy cable. Now I will buy, you know, other services from you because I trust you because the experience is good. So those are two completely different examples. What I do want to say, though, is that people hear the word innovation and they think someone's going to go and build a flying saucer in their garage. <laughs> it's just not true. Innovation, remember that definition, the, the need in the market that, that you can't see yet but you need to see. Uh, that's an insight. So let's find an insight that's worth worth uh, brainstorming or innovating against. And then how can we serve it, a product, a service, or a business model? And then importantly, how can we use that research in the process to deliver an experience where people go, my gosh, thank you, and I'll buy it from you. And so 87%, that's a fake number, but it's close enough, of the work that we do is actually culminates in a meeting where our client says, well, we could have done that 10 years ago. <laughs> and it's like, good, because now you're going to do it. We're going to do that because the, the, now the world is ready for it. They expect it from you. They want it, and they'll pay you more for it. So I, I would encourage your listeners not to get too frightened by the word innovation. It's really about listening uh, better to your, consum- your, your rapidly changing consumers and customers and serving them with something unique um, that they want. So when companies tell you that they could have built something 10 years ago, do you, I'm sure it's gotten easier over time, but do you have to restrain yourself from saying, well, then why didn't you? No, I mean, <laughs> that's a, it's a good question, but, I, but it's, they, by that time, they, they, they understand. I mean, it, the innovation is a team sport. It, it doesn't work when you hire a, uh, a snarky consulting firm with, that wears a lot of black and look at my glasses, glasses, and rolls their eyes and says, oh, my Lord, how could you not think of this? You, you know, there's a cultural aspect to innovation, and that's important, you know, that because most companies uh, have plenty of really good ideas, you know, like seeds of, of brilliance, but the soil conspires to suffocate the seed. It, the, the, nothing can grow in their soil the, because because the company is afraid, they're they're risk averse, they they don't feel uh, supported by leadership, they don't they don't feel like they can be creative. There's a lack of engagement because of they tried this and you know it didn't work last time, so why would it work this time? So one of the things that we coach our clients to do is to really understand um, and start a dialogue with at least the innovation team about what they need to be successful. You, innovation is not declarative. You can't just stand up and declare suddenly we're innovative. Mm-hmm. You, you have to build, you have to, you have to have rich soil, and that's a team sport. So um, start with the soil <laughs> uh, before you start planting seeds. 
Okay, got it. Well, I I, uh, I can identify with the uh, the snarky consultants dressed in all black, not because we are one, because in the first chapter, I believe, of Free the Idea Monkey, you have a, a shout-out to Detar from uh, Sprockets on Saturday Night Live. Anyone who's old enough to remember the classic Mike Myers skit will certainly appreciate that. And... <laughs> yeah, love my monkey. Touch my monkey! <laughs> <laughs> Mike Myers is brilliant. There's a, there's a, I, I think stand-up comics and fun, and uh, I talk a lot about it in the book, that when you have a culture that, that doesn't take itself too seriously, that, that um, you know, stand-up comics, there's a, there's a rule in, in comedy that you can never say but or no. You always have to say yes and, because when you're doing improv, yes and keeps the, the conversation and the ideas going. So when it comes to uh, you can you can take this practice and put it to use with idea monkeys and ringleaders. Um, ringleaders say that, that idea monkeys feel persecuted when they bring you an idea and you say no, it won't work, it won't work. I coach ringleaders to take a like a shot of humility and before they say no, take a pause for a second and think about why you don't think it's a good idea, and then with humility say something like, I wish that I could figure out how to get our our legal team to think that's a good idea. Because that's why you think it's a bad idea. So by that is a yes and. And when you do that, a, a creative person will go, wow, that's a tough challenge. Let me think about it and I'll come back to you with some ideas. So what just happened? You kept the conversation going. You were humble as a ringleader. And, 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 you, and you empowered someone that is clever and creative to help work out a challenge that you don't know how to solve. On the flip side, if you're an idea monkey, uh, ringleaders feel persecuted when you keep coming at them with one idea after another. So how about asking them where they're stuck? How about saying, hey, what's the most important thing? What's the essential thing for the organization right now? What, how can I help? What, what are you trying to solve that I should be thinking about? So at least the ideas you're coming with are based on something that's essential, not important. All right, so the importance of yes and rather than no but. Uh, from a Chicago native who should know a thing or two about improv with the <laughs> – it's the second city, right? That's right, second city. That's where, uh, gosh, most of the famous uh, SNL alums came through there. Very nice. Um, okay, we're, we're running short on time, Mike, uh, but this is the part of the episode where I ask if you have any famous last words for listeners out there who may be struggling with innovation uh, and different ways that they may look to change their business model. Anything that we haven't covered that you think uh, folks should hear? Well, my favorite saying in the world is you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar. And if you find yourself getting angry about an idea, if you find yourself your face turning red. Remember, you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar. So you, maybe you know too much. Maybe you're thinking about what's failed in the past, what your boss really wants, what your budget will afford. I would suggest you take a step back and say, perhaps I'm stuck in the jar. Perhaps I'm, my expertise is getting in the way. And think about who outside your industry, a friend, an outside expert, is working on a similar challenge in a in a non-competitive way, go and buy him a beer, buy him a glass of wine, buy him a cup of coffee or a burger and say, hey, look, um, I'm stuck here. I think that I'm right, but can, can I explore 
um, one of my thoughts with you and see if I'm missing anything. That's how innovation starts. And, and, and it'll, getting unstuck, will it's a gift, and, and it'll keep you from being napstered. So just remember the saying, you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar. Nice, and that ties back to what you said earlier about uh, you know most innovations don't come from people who are so-called experts. And the the example that you used was what's happening in education right now. That's right, Will. Okay, great. Uh, well, thanks so much, Mike. I uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, great words of wisdom for all the listeners out there. Uh, and uh, since we're in the midst of March Madness, we talked about this before. Good luck to your Iowa State team tonight. Uh, <laughs> If you if you make it to the second round, I hope that it's a very close game and you and you fail and, and you fall to my North Carolina Tar Heels. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll be thinking about you uh, when Kane drives the winning basket uh, with two seconds left. I hope. <laughs> but I've really enjoyed it. Will thanks and, and Godspeed. Good luck to you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, so All if right. you're if you're interested in connecting with Mike, you can follow him on Twitter at at the Idea Monkey. Maddock Douglas is also on Twitter at at Maddock Douglas. That's at M-A-D-D-O-C-K-D-O-U-G-L-A-S. And their home on the web is MaddockDouglas.com. Uh, you can read Mike's regular columns on innovation at Forbes.com. And you can also download a free chapter of his latest book, Free the Idea Monkey, at FreeTheIdeaMonkey.com. Thanks again, Mike, and uh, we will keep an eye on you and the company. I will. My pleasure. All right, Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Mike Maddock of Maddock Douglas for joining us on this week's episode of the Innovation Engine Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll have Jessica Hall, Three Pillars Director of our Innovate Practice, on the podcast to talk about innovation, content monetization, and why prototyping can be the best first step in going from idea to fully formed product. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.